That's a powerful fan, though. It is a powerful fan. Very simple, very powerful. Very simple, very powerful. <laughs> what was that guy's name? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. It was ages ago. Like, that's literally all I know about this guy. There's that, and there's the uh, model with high heel shoes. Yes, that's versus right. Versus the elephant. Right. And who is going to break the stage? Right, right. And the model with the high heel shoes will. Yeah. Because her weight is not dispersed, yeah. Pressure. Pushing down on me. Pushing down <laughs> on you. No man has more. Pushing down on that stage. <laughs> Welcome to our parent society meeting for Nanny Conflict Resolution and the podcast Why Do We Watch This, where we watch a bad movie, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and how we'd fix it all while drinking a themed cocktail. Myself, I am Brendan Conga for the Congo Drishler. I'm Chris. No, no, Nanny. Ravel. And I'm Lee Harvard Hottie Delahanty. <laughs> And the movie we watched to go along with these delightful nicknames is 2007's The Nanny Diaries, directed by Sherry Springer-Berman and Robert Polcini, who directed American Splendor, and did a bunch of other movies, none of which seem in line with The Nanny Diaries, so I don't know <laughs> why they were... American Splendor. No, it does not, so I don't know why they were slumming it with this one for some reason. It's based off of the 2002 novel of the same name, and it stars Scarlett Johansson, Chris Evans, Laura Linney, Alicia Keys, Donna Murphy, and Paul Giamatti, or at least his body double for mm. the first couple scenes. And then Wrong. It was Giamani who played Harvey Picard in American Splendor. Yeah, right? so maybe that's how they got him. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you want to you know follow up your, your great role? Maybe they were American just Splendor. like, who are we going to get for this? Oh, wait a second. I bet Paul, I got Paul's number. Paul, I got Paul's I number for American Splendor. <laughs> if he's anything like James Adomian makes him seem, I'm sure he'll be leaping all over this opportunity. And the drink we made, of course, to go along with this, uh, for this summary piece of chiclet, we made a bit of a summary drink to go along. It's called the Upper East Side Spritzer. It is four ounces of raspberry wine, two ounces of lemon seltzer, and two ounces of lemonade. And just mix together a little bit, but not so much that you start to cause the bubbles to go flat. I don't know, the drink to go flat. And, uh, and then drink it up, you fucking lush. What did you guys think of it? It was um, delish. delicious. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It was very simple, which I liked. Very easy to make. Didn't require a lot of prep. I like yeah. sparkling drinks, so... Yeah, I and do also, too. Like, with this heat rolling in, it was nice and light and sweet yeah. and bubbly and refreshing. It was very nice. It is. These these summery drinks are a godsend when we have... Not not today, necessarily, but uh, pretty much every day this week is going to be, like, what, like, high 80s? Yeah, it's supposed to be... Yeah. Fucking awful. Yeah, we're going to enjoy this balmy, high 70s weather while we can with our alcoholic beverages. All right, so, thumbs up all around for the drinks. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the movie. Chris, would you read us Wikipedia's synopsis for The Nanny Diaries? I sure will. 21-year-old Annie Braddock has just graduated from Montclair State University. She has no idea what or who she wants to be. One day, while sitting in the park, Annie sees a young boy about to be hit by a vehicle. Annie saves him and meets the boy's mother, who we meet as Mrs. X. When she introduces herself as Annie, Mrs. X mistakes her words for Nanny and hires her to look after Grayer, the boy she saved. Mrs. X also continues to call her Nanny instead of Annie throughout the film. Annie lies to her mother about taking a job at a bank and in reality moves in with the X's to be a nanny for Grayer. Life with the incredibly privileged X's is not what she thought it would be, and her life is complicated further when she falls for Harvard Hottie, who lives in the building. Interspersed with her life as the X's nanny are her interactions with Harvard Hottie, as well as her long-term friend, Lynette. She continues to keep her mother in the dark about her real job, giving her regular but false progress reports. Further complications arise when her mother decides to visit her, forcing Annie to pretend Lynette and her roommate are a couple and that their apartment is Annie's apartment. Her mother finds out the truth when Grayer becomes severely ill and Annie desperately calls her for help. After a rough start, Annie eventually bonds with Grayer, whom she addresses by his preferred codename Grover, and discovers that he is actually a sweet and loving child who was neglected by both of his parents, which explains uh, his uncontrollable behavior. Parallel to this, Annie begins to also notice that Grayer is not the only one uh, being neglected. Mrs. X is as well, with Mr. X constantly being cruel to her and committing sadly obvious 
adultery. Second <laughs> obvious adultery is the term this. I mean, how else would you describe it, Chris? Sadly obvious. It's I mean, subtly and obvious. I almost feel like you enter into a chicken and egg kind of ping ponging scenario. Sadly obvious. Subtly well, I obvious. think it's just like, how can you be subtly obvious? Uh, Mrs. X makes numerous attempts to make her husband love her, including lying to him about being pregnant with her second child. Annie soon realizes that Mrs. X's own cruel treatment of her is due to Mrs. X's growing frustration from her dysfunctional marriage. Things take a turn for the worse during a family trip with the X's to Nantucket. She overhears Mrs. X telling a friend during a party that she has installed a nanny cam at their home in the city and plans to fire Annie after viewing footage showing Annie lovingly tending to Grayer with Mrs. X grossly exaggerating her findings from the nanny cam. The next morning, Mr. X sexually assaults Annie just as Mr. X enters the kitchen. She unreasonably fires Annie and sends her back to the city with her final payment of just 40 bucks, along with a puppy Mr. X had given Grayer when they arrived in Nantucket, but foisted off on her as she was leaving. Flying into a rage, she looks for and finds the nanny cam in the X's house and records her feelings towards the X's. Mrs. X brings the tape to a school meeting for the Upper East Side Mothers, and thinking the tape will show Annie feeding Grayer peanut butter and jelly, she requests the coordinator to play it for everyone else to see. All other parents in the room here as Annie reveals the real relationship between the exes in the process making Mrs. X come to terms with her own reality and false happiness. Annie continues to date Herbert Hottie, whose real name is revealed to be Hayden. She is temporarily living with Lynette and her roommate and pursuing her growing interest in anthropology, much of what she learned through her time as, as X's nanny. A few months later, Hayden hands her a letter from Mrs. X. Written in the letter is an apology and news about how Mrs. X left Mr. X and that her second pregnancy was a false one that Mrs. X invented to keep Mr. X interested in her, is raising Grayer alone and making stronger attempts to bond with him and successfully doing so, and Grayer's overall improvement. She expresses her gratitude to Annie for waking her up and for changing her life. Also in the letter, Mrs. X addresses Annie by her real first name for the first time and signs the letter with her own first name, Alexandra. Instead of Mrs. X. Sorry, it was exhausting having to be then Mr. X said to Mrs. X, and then Mr. X said this about Mrs. X's marriage. It's almost like it's a conceit that doesn't quite work. Yeah. Uh, we should also say real quick, so Annie is played by Scarlett Johansson. Hayden, the Harvard hottie, is Chris Evans. Who else? Mrs. X, <laughs> Alexandra, is Laura Linney. Mr. X is Paul Giamatti. Annie's mom, Judy, is played by Donna Murphy. Lynette, her friend, is played by Alicia Keys. Uh, I think that's about it. That's pretty much uh, it. Nate Cordry shows up as a yeah, gay Yeah, Nate Cordry is her as uh, Alicia Keys' gay roommate. Chicklet, right? This movie came out in a post-Devil Wears Prada world, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I want to double-check the uh, release this, date of Devil Wears this Prada. This came out in 2007. 2007. Right, and okay, Devil Wears Prada was 06. So I'm sure that it was oh, in production. absolutely. Well, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Unequivocally, I can say now, 7 comes after 6. Well, yes. So, I, I mean, this this... Clearly, it was probably in production before Devil Wars product came out. So, like, it was probably just something that happened, you know, once someone, once one studio got the rights to this, like, chiclet book that was causing, you know, the copies to fly off the shelves. Another studio is going to be like, well, what else can we buy? And well, someone says, Nanny Diaries. Because if I remember correctly as well, Devil Wars Prada, the book, also spawned a bunch of also similar copies of which right. you could say Nanny Diaries was definitely one. So, it follows that in the. Uh, popularity of Devil Wears Prada the movie, so too would this follow. Yes, although it's interesting to note that Nanny Diaries the book precedes Devil Wears Prada the book. Oh, yes, by one year. Well, we, we have the same thing with like young adult movie. Everyone was trying to get their young right, adult so you just like snap guy. up whatever yeah. property high, you can find. Property. Yeah, and are like put it into production. I don't care. Yeah. Throw some whatever it is, Monopoly. Yeah, yeah throw some teens. Yeah, make, make that Monopoly movie. Moon, moonbeam. <laughs> what is that one from Annie? Moonquake Lake. Moonquake. Make Moonquake Lake. Moonquake. Moonquake. I want to take take a swim like like you. Ah, such a great song. The only good song from the Annie remake. I didn't hate their version of Little Girls, but as... Cameron Diaz is so bad. It's it's true. Although you cannot fault her energy level. She's leaving it all out there. So, uh, yes, this comes... The movie itself comes out after uh, Devil Wars Prada. So we already have this Mm. established hit movie that... Uh, based off a very popular chiclet novel, the movie comes out to pretty great acclaim. It's uh, huge, makes a lot of money. It's huge for Meryl Streep. I think it's one of Meryl Streep's like comedy Iconic roles. That, roles. Well, yeah, but it's also like it's, it's a comedy role that she actually like where the movie was actually a hit because she had done comedy before with like um, Death Becomes Her. Yeah, but, like, Death Becomes like Her. Right, but like those were all movies that like made no money at the time. People mm-hmm. were like, oh, maybe Meryl Streep's not good at comedy. And then this movie comes out like, oh, she can do everything. We misjudged her. You know, you see that and you understand. Me and we're like. 
maybe not. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, maybe she can't be jumping out of bed all the time. Well, I mean, to be fair, Mamma Mia's shortcomings are not Meryl Streep. No, did you see that the producer had said that, like, actually, maybe it's going to be a trilogy? No. Oh, God. Oh, so, God. who the fuck knows? Maybe they're all going to be dead the third one. There's, there's no, no more songs we want to hear. for it that was like, Mama, it was making a chess joke. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or it's just, like, them singing the songs of chess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Which, honestly, yeah, it's, it's the only one ever going to get I a would, chess movie. I would take a big glitzy chess movie. <laughs> uh, I, I can sing One Night in Bangkok uh, by heart. So, anyways, so... You understand why a studio would want to do a movie yes. like this. That's quite simple. Are you, Lee? I know you had said that, like, in terms of books, this is not a genre that, like, appeals to you or has anything that you care for in it, really, right? No. Okay. Chris, have you, do you have a lot of familiarity with, with the genre in general, either in terms of movies or books? Much more with the movies. Yeah, same. I've never read. I've never read the like the book, The Devil Wears Prada. I've heard that it's not that great of a book, and like the the main reason for reading the book is because it's like, oh, it's Anna Wintour, right? Like we all know that this is secretly Anna Wintour, and it, it comes out of this thing of like. Um, everyone gets to play this game of like, ooh, like who's the one to one corresponding character, right? Right. right person. Yeah. Who's Anna Wintour? The the really the head, the, of, Vogue. The head of Vogue. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, this vote you're Vogue such is an a Andy. magazine. One I'm such a what? You're such an Andy. Who's Andy? Devil's first band. Yeah, you're, you're I don't know any of these things. You're going to go in and you're going to be like, I don't see a difference between the two Cerulean belts. And they're right. going to tear you apart. Is, is, she, is she being an Andy or is she being more of like a Tracy Tom or like a, awful. a Rich Summer? <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Unsupportive of her friends. I've um, seen the Devil Wars Prada. I couldn't tell you much about it. Uh, there is some, I think, some like real shit in there. Like there was a real kind of unspoken rivalry between... Uh, uh, well, at least in Devil's Prada, it's Miranda Priestly and Jacqueline Foyer. Right. Well, I don't know who Jacqueline's real life equivalent is. I do, and I've seen okay. her, but I can't think of her name. Okay. But she's she's like the head of Vogue, for right? Us, and so, so, like, part of the appeal for this is that, like, you know, it, it's like you, you get to see their dirty laundry, right? It's, it's like a gossipy you, right, sort like of you, thing. You get to see, like, oh, what are but these people really like? It is also, I think, it's striking an iron that, especially at the time, was made very hot by Sex in the City. And it's much like Nanny Diaries, I think, is also trying to do is presenting what they really want you to see as a very New York kind of story. Like, yes, Devorah's Prada does take us to Paris eventually. Um, almost all of the action is taking place in New York, um, similar to Sex in the City. So, right. I mean, like, I honestly think it's all tied back to that. That mothership is really what we have to thank for this. Right. You do get part of that aspect where it's it's kind of like the like rich people porn where it's kind of like oh like how, how do these fancy people take live? the like, child to the Guggenheim right. or like, to like the these, these enormous apartments the... these walls full of shoes right. like yeah they, they have servants who deal with everything there's a fascination with the rich and the fashionable of New York that yeah. I think is present in all three films do these have any relation to like those movies about like women like girls finding like royalty in European countries or is that a different sort of like fashion uh, I would say there's similarities but I think there's similarities in the sense that they're both sort of perhaps wish aiming at the same audience. Yeah, there's wish fulfillment. I was going to say they're aiming at the same kind of reader, yeah. probably, um, for the most part. Like, like I, I, that's kind of just an old trope, well, right, many, to a certain point. Are these, are these meant to be, this This what we're talking about here, is mm-hmm. it meant to be, like, satirical or cutting, or is it just, like, is uh, it more, like, my voyeuristic? Under, my understanding I think is it, that it is meant to be satirical. I think that it, it, I think that they would want you to believe it is satirical, the, the but market. I think more often it comes off as just voyeuristic. The way the book is built on Wikipedia is that it's satirical. Right. But here's where I think... I agree that it's voyeuristic, I think, probably an actual function, but I think where they get off telling us it's satirical is in that heavy framing device of the field study and the anthropology of it all. It should be said as something that does not exist in the book and something that was added for the movie. Yeah. I have not read the book, but I just went online to look up the differences because I was curious as to where the book... Yeah. No, it's awful. Um, Just just real quickly going back to the book here. So it was written by two women, both of whom were like... They were uh, students at NYU, I believe, if I remember correctly. They were both nannies for various people in New York, so they had their own experiences that they were sort of throwing into this Mm -hmm. book. Um... I looked online, and Mrs. X is supposedly based off of this woman I've never heard of before, but she's, like, I guess a part-time reporter for What's CBS or something. I legitimately, like, Lisa Burke, 
Berktold, but I don't know. It, it was actually like really almost funny because like I was reading about how all these other rich white ladies in this building were like, I can't believe one of our daddies would go and write a book like that. And so to say like, like, yeah, go figure. Like if you act like a shithead, someone might someday write down like, boy, this woman was a shithead. Yeah. And the idea that you'd be like, I can't believe they betray our trust like that is just like, uh, Wait, of course. This is a real, real people are saying this? Or people yeah, real people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there, there, there are real bases behind yeah. what is happening in, in this book. book and in this movie accordingly. Um, the book, to my understanding, is a little bit more anecdotal. Like, there's less of a through line in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more just a lot of like, and then this thing happened, and then this thing happened, and then I took Grover, and this thing happened. There's less of a through line? Yeah. Oof. I know. Um, well, I mean, if you think about it, right, because it probably is just like a bunch of incidents that they had had happen to them in various nanny positions that they thought, why not make a book out of it? The, I mean, I don't know if I threw them all in my mm-hmm. like, Was the kid being sick and not pers- personal to calls part of the book? That I do not know. Yeah. The only things that I know, like the basic differences that I can tell are that in the book she is like a career nanny someone who has been a nanny to children many many times she's not just like some rando college grad who's like yeah. maybe I'll be a nanny why not and like just falls ass backwards into the job yeah. uh, she has a mom and a dad and a grandma who act as like counterparts to Mr. and Mrs. X and Mr. X's mother in, in terms of like this is like what it's like to have a supportive a right, a loving family who you communicate with and who things are great with versus like these rich assholes who all hate each other and don't speak all the time. Like I said, the anthropology thing is not at all in the book. Oh, yeah. And the book apparently ends, like, right after the nanny cam incident, where uh, the nanny finds out that the nanny cam is there. She basically launches into her trade for the nanny cam. That's like, and then I left... Dust my hands off, we're done. And so it doesn't have the whole thing about how, like, Mrs. X watches it, writes her letters saying how she's like, oh, I realize I have to be a better mom, because, like, none of that's actually in the book. So, like, the thing that makes Mrs. X at all an interesting, like, or somewhat relatable character is not to be found in the book itself. Interesting. So Mrs. X does not really get her redemption. No, and apparently, like, in the sequel, feeds into that because she's still an asshole, like, Ten years later, wherever the fuck it is. Yeah. That's pretty much it. The basic structure seems to be more or less the same, but it's just mostly seems like they tried to give it a more conventional narrative for a movie. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, uh, that's kind of bizarre. There is there is a framing device throughout this movie that deals with um, Annie going. I, I, I guess it's it's the Natural History Museum where she just sees like all these various like stagings, like these like uh, like Different these exhibits. I that's yeah, Smithsonian as well, where there are these kind of like mannequin. I mean, yeah, no, I'm not saying that like I don't know, like I'm not down. This is a thing. I know that museums have like. You know, mannequins and like showing you different cultures. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, it's just like her walking through this museum and be like, oh, like here, here's like you know, children in the plains of Africa or whatever. Blah 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 blah. And that's like, and then you have children in Manhattan, and it's like, and all New York. Am I right? And here's all the rituals. Like, like they use meditative rituals, and it shows her getting like a back massage. And like, what was the thing where like one was throwing up over the toilet? Like, what did she say it was? Um, they they worship porcelain gods. No, I don't think that's. Was, uh, fasting rituals. Yeah, yeah fasting, uh, fasting rituals. rituals. Thank you. Yeah, like a woman like vomiting over the toilet. So it's, it's, it's you know like that crap like that. It's yeah. like, but who raises the children in Manhattan? And it shows like a bunch of kids with like their various multicultural nannies saying, "Hi, she's like well, the nannies." I was also going to say it too. Like they linger on it long enough for you to see that it is all women of color who yeah. are the nannies in that well, I mean, situation. Yeah, no, it is. And like you know, it takes a village, they say, and it takes these nannies to raise these children in Manhattan. It's Bloody such a blah, 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 blah. smug framing device. It's so precious. I think it's so clever with this yeah. diorama theme. Um, I think it's it's I think it's a joke that is or like a gag or a, I don't even know what you call it a framing device that is I guess supposed to be kind of jokey or clever that is teased out way too long and um, I just I never have fun with it. Well, it goes on throughout the movie too because you'll periodically like check back in, right? Where it's like Annie's like, but who am I really? And it's like, oh, and like am, inside am, mom, right? Right? Like, am I like yeah? Am I like this this like wealthy career woman? Am I this environmental lawyer Order lesbian with a, yeah. <laughs> with a lesbian life partner? <laughs> Ooh, I just want to know. That's so I was looking up. Yeah. by the way, lesbian like, life partner. Oh yeah. Because of the changes, I was uh-huh. just curious. I, I can't really Google and do this all at the same time efficiently. But I assume that the two authors are both white. I don't know. I could be wrong with that. I'm but going like, to assume. Also, I honestly didn't think to look. I did a quick Google of their names. Mm-hmm. Nothing screamed like 
like Emma McLaughlin a- and like I mean Nicola Krause maybe, but like I don't know. I'm just I was looking at like so they're they, you said they were nannies, actual nannies. Well, they were also like they were also going to NYU, so I think okay. they were like nannies on the side. On the side. So I had I was just curious if they like had problems with how the changes were in the movie and how like it was just some. How the oh. decision to make her like, but I can't find any like actual response to that statements or yeah. like complaints they made. No, that's that's it. that's an interesting question. It I is, hadn't considered that. But. It is interesting for that like exactly one moment that the movie zeroes in on, like yeah. this this black woman is telling her about how like my son is being raised without me and. I'm having to take care of this other woman's children to, like, make enough money for my family. and it's like- Right. So there, um, I had kind of forgotten that that was even in the movie, to be honest with you. I had watched this movie. I saw this movie many, many years ago when I was in college, and I fucking hated it. That's all I remembered about it. And that's why I was like, we should do this sometime, yeah. so I remember it was shit. And um, I have to say, upon rewatching it, it's not quite as bad as I remember it being. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, not it's awful. not appallingly bad, yeah. but it's pretty dumb. Um, they, I, but they are both the Chanel of uh, nannies. Are they both the Chanel yes. nannies? <laughs> okay. It is important uh, to note that in this movie, Annie notes that as a white girl with a college degree and, like, no sex life, she is, like, the Chanel, Chanel bag, bag of, of nannies. nannies. So, like, basically the implication, of course, being that if you, like, if you are, like, this well-spoken, educated white girl, knit, like, these Politics. rich ladies are gonna, like, fucking go nuts trying to hire you. Yeah. Because you, you know, you, you are the ultimate in the nanny status symbol. Mm-hmm. And it also ties in a little bit with the scene that you were talking about, Chris, where mm-hmm. um, she's talking to all these other nannies at, like, a play date or something, and, you know, she just mentions, like, oh, like, I have a college degree, I kind of just fell into this job. And, like, the other, like, people are like, you have a college degree. Oh, she's like, yeah, oh, uh, this job chose me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then this so, one's like, I, I assume someone with a college degree would probably, like, pick a better job or something yeah. like that. Well, they all look at her like that, and they don't go into it with literally any of the other nannies. Not even the Irish one, which, it, when I first watched this, I thought, oh, she can become buds, but no. But, uh, you never really get a, you don't get a sense from the other nannies. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to pat this movie on the back too hard, but it did have more awareness than I was expecting. It paid for a that, little more lip service have, than I thought it would. Yeah, yeah and for, for them to have a character say that line, and I think there was also generally an implication, at least in that scene, of like, you're pretty privileged and have it pretty easy. You could go back to your mom and get money if you really needed it. Well, by that and by that line too, you're referring to like how the her the one woman's retort to her like thing about the job shows her is how like she came to this country right. because her mom was sick and she thought her she gave her son a better mm-hmm. life there, but like she's had to spend the last three years taking care of someone else's kid. Right, while well, her own kid grows up without. Yeah, mom and she's like that's how yeah. this job shows yeah. me. Yeah. But, like, you stupid fuck. You stupid Unspoken line. I wish there was more touching down on that throughout the rest of the movie, but there's not, because it it was kind of refreshing for a hot second to have someone check her. They make a lot of jokes that they think are... I'm sure that the movie thinks are pretty cunning, but they don't do anything with those jokes. Like, Mm. they... The uh, the fucking the like parent society woman. Yeah, the parent society yeah. woman who like does the nanny thing is like, I, if only these maids spoke English, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like so many of them just don't uh, speak English. Yeah, yeah and yeah. her um, now, 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 it's a nanny opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. The teddy bear is compromised. No, no, like you said, the movie the movie dips its toe in it for, like, one scene, and it's like, ooh, too cold, and runs yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it also kind of uh, comes into play a little bit, I think, during the scene where she's having dinner with Chris Evans, and he's and he says something like, well, you know, you could quit this job at any time. And she's like, well, no, I can't. And I kept waiting for her to give, like, a substantial reason as to why she couldn't actually quit this job. And the reason is mostly just that, like, she'd feel bad for the kid, which, like, I kind of get to a point. Mm-hmm. But, like, on the other hand, it's not your kid. This kid is going to grow up with these parents, like, regardless of what you do for the kid, right? Like, you yeah. can't sacrifice your entire life to become a surrogate mom for this child. Yeah. So, like, you, you kind of have to come to terms with that pretty quickly. Like, you can't just sit there thinking, like, like what is what is the best case scenario for this for you? Like, you end up, you know, guiding the kid through until he, like, hits puberty. And then, yeah. like, you're like, okay, now I, I've done my job. I can go be a banker, whatever the they fuck it is. They kind of acknowledge that, like, emotional thorniness, though. Because as soon as ScarJo realizes, like, how attached she is to Grayer and how much she, like, legitimately loves him as, like, a caregiver, much is made of this conflict. And you can't acknowledge it out loud because it's going to make it more painful when you leave. Isn't there a lot about how like when he says when she he says to her like oh I love you she's like oh the L bomb is being dropped and yeah. she like 
knows she's not supposed to stay back, but she has a Cezan back anyway. Right, and there's also like various scenes where he where he says like, "Promise you'll stay here forever," and yeah. she's like reluctant to like obviously promise that to a child, but she's like, "Well, you know, I'm not going anywhere, right?" And like also, I think when they're on the beach in Nantucket, she like she's she talking says, about money, and she says, "Remember, money can't buy you love," and he says like, "But, but my mommy pays you, and I love yeah. you." Which <laughs> is just like it's so kind of like heartbreaking for yeah. a child to like. Well, say and then I think right after that, she says, "You know, I may not always be your nanny." But I'm always going to be your friend. Yeah, and he doesn't say anything back. He just sort of rolls over and just stares off into the distance for a second. And again, but like that kind of just goes back to like, like, how are you always going to be his friend? I, I know to a certain point you might just be saying this to a child to make the child feel better in the moment. Really, what is your yeah, end game here? Mm-hmm. Like, when, when do you stop this? You know, yeah. it's it's and, and also like you had said, Lee, that it's just like how long can she keep this charade going from her mother? Her mother doesn't know that she's being there. Her mother thinks yeah. that she has a job at a bank. And then she's living in an apartment somewhere downtown I mean, in this, New York. This problem is not. This is endemic to storytelling. In oh no, I agree. Like there's so many times where people start a, a fiction in a movie, like a or a ruse, and I'm like, how? How is this sustainable? Yeah, yeah. how are you going to sustain this from with like a week of your life? Yeah, like, exactly. How are you gonna keep making up like, oh, a play date is like a, a meeting you have. Right, right. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Logistical <laughs> meeting is yeah. what I meant by that. You know, mom. And like you just the, like if you you're not actually a financier, so like what kind? Um, you have to do like research or keep up with the trade so that you can come up with police bullshit yeah like, right exactly Jesus Christ it's not gonna work every time your mom comes in you're gonna have to be like hey friends I gotta stay with you I for know. like the night just like that I'm living here that's the insane part yeah. that she can't even visit because there's like there's no she's like have a fake apartment right right because she lives with the yeah. exes so obviously her mom can't know that it's got some pretty flimsy narrative conceits, this movie, I think. A lot of which don't seem to be an issue, really, in the book. It's just strange. I guess you want to, like, create drama in order to heighten yes. stakes. But, it- like, I feel like you have kind of a natural source of drama, which is to say you're working for, like, these tyrannical, insane parents. So, like, you don't really need the hat on the hat of your mother thinking that you're a businesswoman, not knowing that you're actually yeah. being a nanny, that you're living with these people, blah, 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 blah. I think that's it's that's meant to shoehorn it even... Like more into the divorce Prada mold, yeah. Right? Where like you, yeah. you start to lose your, your connections with yeah, your friends. It, it, I think it's a part of the movie's attempt to create some sort of like perfect storm of chaos yeah. that comes crashing down all at once. Yeah, but it's just like an un, it's unnecessary. There's enough. Chaos. It is, and also like I feel like she really, really readily calls her mom when Alicia Keys is like, "I know a nurse. It's your mom," <laughs> and she's like. Okay, like, she basically just calls her mom right away. I feel like if you're really, there's like, that gung-ho on keeping the charade going, like, there's probably, like, a physician these rich people have who's on call 24-7 who will make a house for call. Sure. Right. So, also, like, that's what the fucking ER is for. Right, exactly. So, like, I don't, I, like, it's if, like, if you want to keep this bullshit going, you could have kept it spinning. You could have kept those plates rotating on their rods a little bit longer. You know, the exes had amazing insurance. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. they did. So, I, I don't know. That whole contrivance really is just... It does nothing for me. It's, it's tiresome to have to deal with, and I really don't care for it. Yeah. I guess I just had a little bit of a question I wanted to ask. The world of the nannies. Should we care about this? The world of the nannies? Just, like, like this world that they're inhabiting, right? Like is I this... care about it more than I care about the rich people. Okay, that's fair. Do you, so, like, you don't care about the rich people business at all? No, I, th- I mean, the, I think there's two ways. Like, I, I don't, like, again, yeah, I don't, not the audience for this. Yeah, yeah. Even if I, even if I, if I was, I think there's only two ways I could be interested in this movie. Mm-hmm. If you're going to tear apart the rich people, which this movie doesn't do other than be like, ha ha ha, funny. Yeah, right. They're so out of touch. They're so going, silly. Yeah. Or if you're going to show me. Uh, what it's like to be a nanny, genuinely, uh-huh. yeah, and yeah. I think you do one of those two things. Right, I think either you pick one and you do that well. So I, I would be interested in, in a story that actually genuinely is invested in uh, what these nannies go through, mm-hmm. or I'd be interested in like a sort of Armando Iannucci style takedown, of, like <laughs> you know, rich, yeah. Yeah, rich lifestyles, right? Yeah. Like I don't care about. Like peeking through a keyhole at right. an upper apartment. Yeah, like ooh, like ooh, ooh their marriages in shambles. Like yeah. ooh, how saucy. Well, there is also just something sort of lazy and perfunctory about how the whole thing goes. Like it's oh, the the husband's all about business and having an affair. Yeah, actually, that's the, I think I've just solved my problem. I think I wanted Art Armando and Nietzsche to do this. <laughs> I don't like have to talk to me about like rich fucks. He'll do it good. He would do it good. Actually, that would be a pretty cool yeah. movie. They're just such... It's just, they're such basic stereotypes of what, like, a rich person in Manhattan is. Like, what does he do? He does the business. Well, he has the Chicago thing. He has to do the Chicago <laughs> thing. They put that bunch of times they just talk the about The merger. Chicago, yes. The merger. Yes. Chicago yes. merger. Yes. Those are like I gotta go to Chicago to do the merger. Yes. <laughs> Whenever anything family-related 
then it comes up. He's like, oh, Chicago. Yeah. No, I, can't, I can't stay in Nantucket for lo- much longer I'll have than to go, I have go, to go back to I, Chicago. I have to go do the business. I have merch uh, my, my flight got canceled, and I'm coming back on Sunday, so I might as well just stay the I whole week. if you did, like, a stats on his dialogue... Ten percent of it would be the words "business" and "merger." <laughs> when can we of. get into the weirdness of that character? I mean, we can talk about it later, but okay. it's, it's it's up to you because I want I do want to go through like the um, main characters real quick. Sure, 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 sure. I think very much what Lee is saying. They either needed to satirize them ruthlessly or actually show what it was like to be a nanny. But it seemed like what they wanted to do was create this sort of. I don't know, like weird, low to mid stakes drama with a romance kind of attached to it, um, but none of the drama that occurs is new or interesting, and you can see it all coming from a mile away, so it makes for a very uninteresting movie. I would say the only times where I snap back into kind of being interested is in moments like where Laura Linney busts into that, like, maid's cell with the lingerie, and is like, well, it's not mine, and it's not Mr. X's, yes, so, so this must be yours. it's yours, right? Yeah. Right? And, and it's Fred like, is like, yeah, it's mine. I must have left it. And it's not like any like big deal of a scene, but those are the moments where I'm like, oh, okay. It's most compelling. I, th- I think the, like, the moments that humanize Laura Linney are probably the yeah. most interesting ones. Like, honestly, she is probably a more compelling character than Annie yeah. for me. For yeah. Yeah. Like, for sure. Yeah. She's fast. And there's so many unanswered questions that right. we'll never know. I know, no, you keep like, saying, like, the whole time, like, why is she still with this guy? Well, yeah. At the end of the day, I was, why is she still with him? I was so him? curious. What like, was her background before Yeah, background? I was curious if she was also. So, because she, there's a couple things that I mean, again, because I'm desperate to find life in this movie, right, right. that I was starting to imagine a world where she was also poor, and that's why she's so attached to Mr. X is because like this is like sort of an achievement that she has managed to make. Yeah, because she's not, she doesn't have a job, right. so like maybe that's why she doesn't have a job because she doesn't, she was never that like smart or didn't go to college, mm-hmm. and then she sort of has like this trophy wife position. Yeah, and so that's why she clings to this marriage that clearly isn't working because what would she do if she wasn't married to this guy? I don't know. She does seem at least to be educated. I guess. I guess she's cultured. I guess. Yes, yeah. That's but it's, yeah. it's easy to it could, like, it could be one of those things where like you just like start reading books and you like you marry yeah. this guy and you immediately like hit the like hit the ground running, try and find out but everything you need. Yeah, yeah, or you just like right. know go to because all the time. it doesn't take a lot of effort or knowledge to, to like appear pretend. sophisticated. Yeah, to be like go to the Guggenheim because that's what people do. Right. You know, or like right. and then you learn. just start throwing around money at various classes yeah. and show up and, and learn the name great. of a couple of different artists that you can just like throw out throw in a conversation. Out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well the, it ties in a little bit uh, the one conversation that when uh, she's when Laura Lenny is firing Scarlett Johansson and she mentions that Scarlett Johansson has a thing for Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah. And she like says something like like don't you know like you're wildly out of your league. Yeah, there. he's out of your league and yeah. I was like that's why I was wondering if there's something there too but right. Where, where it's like she's like it's not just the fact that like she's being a spiteful bitch being like this rich guy's out of your league huh it's her say like reflecting back on her yes. own marriage being like this guy like is not someone you should have ever ended up with and she's like in a weird roundabout way kind of like telling her that like if you get with this guy this is going to happen to you in 20 I years I hope that's the case I think you could easily you can definitely make a case for it I read it initially as just the surface level yeah. like like you don't deserve this rich man but like I Lee pointed out I think it's a pretty compelling take that, like, I, I, this I, character I, could be sort of like in a weird way yeah Warning her that like this is what's like going to happen to you. If, if nothing else, this is maybe something that Laura Linney did to like make her character more interesting. It's oh. also very possible. So I put more credit in Laura Linney than yeah. I do in the script. Oh, oh yeah, no, hundred yeah, percent. This, this definitely sure. feels like if you're going to get yeah. this, it's Laura Linney doing it, not Although, script. Scarjo might already be on that right page, at least to some degree, because um, when Herbert Hottie invites. Scarjo and Alicia Keys over to his table at, at so, such and such yeah, a bar. Yeah, the law firm of date rape coke. <laughs> right, exactly. It's <laughs> a 30 rock show. Short it's, scene. It's, yeah. it's such a good line. <laughs> Um, yeah, like all these like bros who are like, so you you a daddy? Yo, you make a journey. That's so porno. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. They're like, what do you think her job is? Like, are you an escort? Yeah. You a model? Yeah. Yeah. Like, but oh, when oh. she says she's a daddy, one of them says, that's so that's porno. So, yeah, yeah. yeah that's so porno. That's right. Like all, all yeah. the guys hot for you or whatever. Yeah. Where you can always like fucking their husbands. Yeah. But then she says to this like grotesque display, and it is cartoonish. Yeah, this yeah. cartoon. The yeah. level to which these uh, these dudes go. Um, she kind of just like reads them for filth and is like, no, actually, yeah, um, gonna be like those husbands are like gross. They're, yeah, they're sad. They're bald. They're fat. They are like smoking cigars all the time. All they do is business. They can't even get it up, and like they don't even notice the nanny there because they're so obsessed yeah. with like their own businesses. And that's what you're all going to be in ten years. So like, live it up right now. So like, I mean, I 
Maybe, you know, I very it, it's very well possible that Mrs. X was trying to teach her a lesson, but Philip Scarjo already knew that one. Yeah, yeah, but she's still going after Chris Evans, you know? Like, oh, is she, or is he going well, after Well, I mean, she still goes she's out with him. him. Yeah, she goes out him. with him more That's than once. And the thing is, he's another character that they don't have enough time. Right, to like, this, with, but this like, romance, like, barely matters. They're also, they're, like, there's, there is untold depth to his character that we'll never know, that, like, he's been on time to get to it, but, like... He's the only one that's like, come on, guys, you're right, being yeah, assholes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, he talks about like how he's he's insists that he's not like there, and it seems like maybe he's not, right? But we don't have the time or energy to learn anything more about him, right? I mean, it's he has like that one like that humanizing scene where she like so like oh they're like the privileged charm life you must have lived yeah. and he says something like well my mom died my dad was always working so I was raised by a bunch of nannies until I was shipped off to boarding school on the one hand yeah that does suck I'm sure it sucks a lot to have your mother die to have yeah. a father who's never there to be raised by like a root like a revolving door of women who like just wander in like handle you for a little bit and then disappear and then you get thrown into a boarding school where you don't know anyone no one's there who like actually legitimately cares for you like you know yeah. you have to form all new relationships that sucks on the other hand you still came from a very wealthy background your father has a house in Southampton or whatever you're not that unprivileged you know like, no for sure like yeah but it, the thing is is that we don't have like again we don't have the time for it but like there's yeah. compelling enough like if you wanted to focus on rich people like that would have been a good counterpoint if you would wanted to focus on it more of like well the like here's someone that's tragically aware that he's emotionally underdeveloped but like <laughs> how can he escape this pre- he's like aged like 23 or so I don't know how yeah. old he's supposed to be but he's pre-law school post-college uh-huh. and like he, he like knows enough that he's like knows that I wasn't loved enough as a kid and I don't have enough emotional maturity but like I, I, like, what do I do now? I'm 25, and, like, how do I get to that point now? Right. Like, what do I, what options do I have other than, like, therapy? Endless therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Truly endless Right? Therapy. Like, when they don't yeah. talk about that, they just vaguely address that, like, oh, I didn't have anyone that loved me, and, like, yeah. send off to boarding school. Yeah, they rush through. And, but I also feel like even for that moment, that's, it's the movie being, like, see, he's a, he's a, he's a rich person. No, for might. sure. He's one but, of the like, good ones. They could have, it could have not been that. It could have right. been, like, something legitimately. This is, the, yeah. This is what it does. It's not like it, it's better. Not like the rich people have it all. Not like the money makes it all right. fine for the rich people. No, and I, uh, what I have some watching is, is like there's a version of this where he is Grayson yeah. in like 10, 15 years. Yeah, like where it's like this kid product. who likes, like who turned out kind of okay, but nonetheless he had like no parents who were around. He was raised yeah. by random women. It's just sort of this is what made him into like you know any problem that he's having right now can be traced back to this essentially yeah yeah because again i i see i see that character as someone that you could show as like clearly a flawed adult that's like like can't really see how again he's blind to his privilege in a lot of ways and he's like kind of a fucking idiot yeah but at least he's vaguely aware that like he's missing some stuff right in his brain right (laughs) and is like maybe interested in in being a better person yeah yeah yeah. No, that, that would be considerably more compelling than, like, the sketch we get yes. of the Harvard hottie in this movie. I mean, everyone's a sketch outside of the, our, like, three main players. I think Grayer is a sketch. I don't think yeah, I mean, he's a kid. child. Like, I'm, yeah. I, I'm a there's little willing to, like, overlook that. Um, yeah, I, just real quick before we go into, like, the actors, uh, we had talked about the weird-ass framing device a little bit in this movie. Yeah. But the direction itself is also, at times, very bizarre. Uh, so we called it, what was it, like, Discount Gondry? I believe discount you called Gondry. it that, but yes. I'm not... I'm not I I'm called not, it like, Discount Oh, did you? Okay, Gondry, yeah. yeah. Um, anyhow... So, uh, it, it is strange. There are fantasy sequences in this movie. As we had talked about, there is the framing device involving the exhibits at the museum. Mm-hmm. There is a sequence where she, like, imagines herself holding an umbrella and, like, flying away a la Mary Poppins, I guess, as her mom's, like, yelling at her, like, put your feet on the ground, young yeah, lady. That's also the book cover, right? Yeah, it is, a, it is the like, book cover, so I assume it's a reference to that. Imaginary banners. Right, be like, we love Annie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that why the business that she applies to has a fucking red umbrella? I assume yes. so. So they could do the book cover? But, like, like how bizarre. That's that so there is a building with a fucking umbrella on the outside. Like, what is the umbrella? Like, I guess what it's, is a, it's a bank. It's their right? logo or something. Well, right? it was the word it, that was the building she was trying to apply to. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so like, I guess like, it's their corporate it's logo. Security. Right. Symbol. Right. Like, let us be your umbrella. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh god but yeah there's there's um a discount version like you said of Gondry or of like um there there are cleverer ways to do mm-hmm. this than the movie does like there are moments that where it, it's it's a little funny but not quite as sharp as it could be yeah. uh the whole again the whole framing device like I feel like Mean Girls does it better to be honest with you if you want to talk about like a movie where a character is treating the entire plot as like 
like a study, Mean Girls pretty much nails it. For part the most of that part. is because Mean Girls, I think, had a lighter touch with it, whereas this movie is constantly my field study. My See, field. I don't work. know that it did because, like, you have the sequence in the mall where all the like they're all acting like animals briefly. You That's know, true. like I think Mean Girls was just as heavy, but Mean Girls is a smarter and sharper comedy mm. than this is. So yeah. it, it it feels natural and it feels funny and fresh there. Whereas here, it's just kind of like I, I get it. I get it's it, just right. an anthropology. It's a museum. <laughs> Come on, but then and also like, but like, why? Why are these fantasy sequences here? You know, like, why is she having this scene where she's flying off holding an umbrella? It feel, it feels like they belong in a different movie, particularly because it's suggesting some kind of level of creativity that does not exist anywhere else in the movie. Yeah, I think the entire like nanny interview montage feels like a much goofier movie than the rest. Yes, of us, where like like a lot of the scenes actually with like these rich women, where like she goes over to the one where they have the play date. It's like this drunken model or whatever, oh, like spinning like, out yeah, on like, pills, like yeah, like going nuts. Like, like decorating a cake so she's throwing icing around which is like this bizarre over the top comedy and then like the interview sequences where you have this woman be like we're in the middle of a divorce so I'm putting duct tape down the middle of the apartment and everything of mine has to be on this side and Annie's yeah. like oh and she steps over the tape to the other side uh, they, it, a lot of them like even the the, the parenting society meetings yeah um they almost felt like they were, like, supporting characters on, like, Pushing Daisies or something. Like, they were all these, like, very quirky. broad, yeah. quirky characters. Capital Q. Yeah, they um, are. Again, Joan Q's section a bit of this movie. They're all... Like, some other, like... She would have been great as, as like, like, the a rich owner thing. of that... The, the oh, moderator of that... Yes. Parental society. Yes, she would have been so yeah. fun. Uh, I was imagining also just a world where she was, like, Laura Libby's best friend somehow, and she just, like, shows up every now and then to, like, throw out barbs and quips. No, you but, know like, who you get to be her best friend? Who? Amy Stokes. I was just gonna yeah. say... <laughs> because of because of Amy Schmidt. Yes. God, she's so great. Do you guys watch At Home by Amy Sedaris? I've seen. I've seen some. I've not seen all. I have not seen all. I would definitely seek out the rest of it. It is so fucking funny. I like the wine, the regional wine lady character. What about the woman who lives in the woods? I don't know that I've seen that. I know. I know the regional wine because she does the song about it's Friday night. Yeah, yeah. Going to get drunk. I think about that every time. Every five o'clock every Friday. That's what I think. I would share it at work, except for the part where he just doesn't want to get laid. <laughs> I don't really want people thinking that. Yeah, no, that's that's understandable. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, there, there are some weird comedic highs and lows in this movie that don't really tie together. Yeah. You have, like, the drama of her mom being like, call me when this stage in your life is over, which is like... I don't know, kind of harsh, mom. Like, 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 I get it. You're yeah. upset, but you're basically saying, like, I don't want to talk to you until you're done doing this shit. Also, not enough is done with the mom. Like, I guess she wanted her daughter to be financially stable, but also it's kind of like shitty to to like. I don't know, pressure your daughter into a specific job. Right, it is. And at no point does it seem like Annie tells her mom that. And her mom's like, I get it. I might have been too aggressive with you. And it doesn't seem like it's really something that Annie, like, wanted to do to begin with. Right. So, I mean, like, if you wanted to do a contrast between, like, loving mom and, like, icy, rich, unavailable mom, like, I don't think you really pulled off that, like, black and white opposite sort of thing here. They're both... In their own way, not that great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, just as a segue, then let's talk about the actors and characters real quick. So, do you want to start ScarJo as Annie? Um, I don't care about her. Yeah, yeah, there's not a lot there. She's kind of wooden. She is. I don't love Scarlett Johansson as an actor all that much. <laughs> there, there are like some roles that I think she's quite good in. I think she's very good in her. Yeah, I was. What's um, under the skin? Um, yes. Yeah. So like, <gasps> she's, she's so been good, good in, in things, but like, I feel like. She needs, like, a really good role, or else she's just sort of there. I feel like you need a really good role, and you also need a very hands-on director. Yeah, that helps. when a, a director's like, you know, why don't you have fun with this yeah. one? I don't know that Scarlett Johansson has the, has the fun tools. Yeah, I don't not. really know about the acting. I just don't think that she's a sympathetic character. No, she's not really. I don't really care about her. Why would no. I? It's and again, like, like, what are her stakes here, right? Yeah. Like, like, at any point, she could, stop, she could stop being his nanny, go back to her mom, like, apologize, mm-hmm. and everything would be fine. So, like, she's going to be, you know, like, these other women are like, yeah. if we stop being nannies, like, our children won't have anything to eat, we'll be homeless, like, right. my mom will die because I won't be able to, like, afford treatment for her. With ScarJo, it's just like, well, you'll go home to New Jersey. It's, she's like a well-off 20-something that has a quarter life crisis. Get in line, honey. Yeah, I know. Like, we're also... That's what we're all doing, Scarlett. Also, she nannies once... Meets a rich guy, never has to fucking worry yeah, about that's anything also true again. Too. I know. She's probably like pretty much set for life at this point. Like, She's got Chris Evans. What the fuck is so like? That's why I thought it was kind of weird. Like this movie has enough awareness to be like, oh, actually, there's like some serious white privilege going on here. Anyway, then she married the hot rich <laughs> yeah, guy, <yeah>. and <laughs> everything worked out okay. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, do we know that Scarlett wasn't playing this role as a person of color? <laughs> 
Good lord. Is this in Matt Gates' defense? Yes. Do you also have an 18-year-old you've been raising these past six yes. years? This is my son. He came here legally from Cuba. But I, I meant more just Scarlett's general defense of, like, I should be able to do whatever role I want to oh, do, right. and it's okay because it's acting. Like, so oh, I want to play a trans woman, I can play a trans woman. There's nothing wrong with that. Because I like how she was in that... Of uh, yeah. Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she was like, I don't see why I couldn't play yeah, a Japanese yeah, yeah. Well, person. And there was also, like, she kind of made it worse on herself because... I mean, she habitually makes it worse. She and doesn't ever, like, <laughs> back down from this bizarre <laughs> idea that she can do it. The Ghost in the Shell thing was particularly bizarre, at least to me, because, like, in that movie... It is not just, like, you You see this movie and the thing you read into it is that it's a woman containing the spirit of a Japanese person. Yeah. That's exactly what it is in the movie. So she spends all of these, like, press junkets leading up to it being like, I understand your concern. That's not what it is. And then that's exactly what it fucking is. Yeah. The thing that gets me, I mean, I don't really know much about that. Never happened. Did that happen? Did we make the ghost in the show? Yes. We yeah. did. And it flops. It out? Yeah. yeah. No one cared. Uh, who do you want to move on to? Laura Linney. Okay. <laughs> the MVP. Uh, I mean, she truly carries this movie. She does. She's great in it. She has great outfits. She's compelling. She's at times sympathetic. She brings humanity and pathos yeah. to a character that I think could have been a screeching harpy. Right. Yeah. If you do not understand entirely like what her relationship is <laughs> and why she's with him, you get that she is nonetheless devoted to him. Like it is yeah. for whatever reason, it's not it doesn't seem to just be like the idea that she wants to hold on to status and money. She does seem to legitimately be into Paul Giamatti, a sentence I never thought she I would say. She seems to... And I guarantee you, anyone that watches this movie will hear more about Laura Lynn than they will about fucking ScarJo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Um, I think, as Lee pointed out, this is a, 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 a different role than you might expect to find Laura Lynn in, but I think she... She does it very well, and I feel like she brings her Laura Linniness to the yeah. role, and it, I feel like it gels in a way that I would not have expected, but was actually very satisfying. It felt like she imbued her character with, like, intelligence, and yeah. I guess I'm just glad that we didn't get this, like, cardboard cutout, you know, like, rich society bimbo, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like, there is no redemption I'm interested in seeing from that person. Well, Laura Linney, listen, she's gonna do the work. She's not gonna, like... <laughs> Half-ass it. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, you know... She's essentially... We were talking uh, about Karen's boys up there. I think she's a Karen's woman. (laughs) (laughs) She's an actress that is going to just, like, do the work of that character no matter what it is. Yeah. So, you know... (laughs) She'll go from Mothman to uh, Manny Diaries. To uh, introducing Masterpiece on PBS. Yeah. Yeah. If we had a Why Watch comparison, it would be... um, God, the guy that's been in a bunch of the character actor, what's his name? Who? Burlesque and Stanley Tucci. Oh, the Tucci. Tucci. Yeah. Oh, God, if they played opposite Tucci. each other. Oh, she's sort of a lady too, Tucci. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Stanley That would be great, actually. That'd be a great pairing. Yep. Definitely watch that. I'm going to research and see what movies they've been into. There has hope, to be at least I hope some they've one done thing. something. Who was the mom in um, the, oh my God, the Scarlet Letter movie? Oh, it's um, uh, Patricia Clarkson. Uh, yeah, thank Clarkson. you. Because uh, they were great parents. They were. Oh, they were and, wonderful. Yeah, they played uh, off each other really well. Their, their chemistry was like incredible. Yeah. Um, speaking of that word chemistry, though, I do want to say as much as unimpressed with ScarJo's performance overall, I do think her scenes with the child are very effective. Yeah, I, I don't have the name right in front of me. Let me find the kid who um, plays. J- Nicholas Art. Art. Nicholas yeah. Art is has the he, kid. I feel like I might have seen him in something. As he like has a He's done two things. Yeah, he's really? been on Guiding Light. Uh-huh. He was in Syriana. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. It's quite the, quite the jump from <laughs> one to the other, right? <laughs> From soap to anti-soap. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do like him. Um, it, it's, as we've said before, it's always hard to, like, accurately assess the qualities of a child actor. But I think he does well, and I think, like you said, he has good chemistry with Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Better than Chris Evans has with Scarlett Johansson, certainly. Yeah. Let's talk about Hayden, yeah. the Harvard Harvard hottie. Not a, not a lot is Chris asked Evans. of him, really. No, it's like, I mean, it's a nothing role, right? There's, like, yeah. almost nothing to this role, aside from, like, the little scraps of information you find about his past. And that he's less of a douche than his friends are. Aside from the Laura Lenny, like, um, he's out of your league, don't marry him moment, you can kind of lift his entire relationship with ScarJo out of it. The only thing he contributes to the overall plot is, I think, an occasional voice of to be like, yeah, get, don't go, fuck you, don't be yeah. in this job anymore. Right, right, right. Just, being just like, quit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, I think, like, once. Also, I think, like, once he's, like, a reason why she's asking for a night off, but doesn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, he really doesn't matter, and it's 
Kind of a shame. I don't need a romance in this. It just feels like he's got nothing to work with whatsoever. Also, yeah. I don't really get much from... I'm not really into Chris Evans. I'm not gonna lie. I, I like Chris I'm Evans. very much into Chris Evans, but he did not do it for me in this movie, especially... Do you like him as an actor or just as a man? Uh, both, I think. Looks... I've generally liked him as an actor. I mean, I mean Knives Captain America is fine. Do you like Knives Out? Oh, yeah, he was pretty good in Knives Out, yeah. but like, not my favorite part of Knives Out, by the way. I mean, not my favorite part necessarily yeah. either, but I thought he was quite good. He was good. Yeah, I think he's, he's fine. I don't, like, I don't, you know... I think he's I, bad or anything. I don't think I, he's a bad actor. I don't think he's, like, stellar, I, I will. I will admit that he is a hotter hunk than he is a talented actor. Yeah, but I don't find him that attractive. Personally, it's fair. He's just uh, not my style. I think um, if I was a nanny and Chris Evans sent me flowers, I would leave my job like immediately. <laughs> I would take those flowers. I've been like, well, I'm done here. Yeah. I've got my weird tastes, okay? And Chris Evans in it. Yeah. Well, listen, like, I, I, Nicholas I get Holtz. it. <laughs> Nicholas Holtz. Weird I, I aesthetic guy. attractive. Oh God, are you he's kidding? Attractive. He's attractive, yeah. but he's like, he's more like, thinner. He's, he's like elfin. kind of like pasty and yeah. Yeah. weedier. Perhaps. I like weird elfin guys, and I like scraggly, scraffly. You're scragglies. Scraggly scrafflies. Scraggly scruffies. Yeah. I did not appreciate his weird, like, coercive approach to getting Scratcher to go out with him in the beginning. That was weird. No, it is. He's very, very into it, and she's pretty clear about uh, not wanting to. Yeah. And it's also kind of nuts. I had said that, like, he sends flowers to to the ex's apartments and say, like, I'm sorry on them or whatever, which is, like, that's nuts. You just wouldn't do that. No. If you want to do something, pull a Freddy from My Fair Lady and just, like, wait on the elevator all day for her to come out. But, yeah. like, don't send flowers to their apartment because you know that that's going to eventually somehow get her in trouble with the lady there. Like, yeah. you just don't do it. Right. Just real quick, who else? Let me see. Uh, Paul Giamatti. Uh, can we talk about his introduction? Yeah, so his introduction is you don't see his face for, like, the first three scenes that he's in. Yeah. And you couldn't remember for a while if, if you, you ever I thought for sure that you did, and I had forgotten that there was the like the lead up to not yeah. seeing him. And so like after like three scenes of not seeing his face, I was like, is it possible he goes the entire <laughs> no, movie has, without his face being shown on screen? Very deliberate and bizarre. It's extremely deliberate. So it's like almost comical at some point. So he like always has a newspaper in front of his face. Right. Or like he's in a chair facing the direction, or like there's flowers covering well, him. Okay, so in that first scene where he like comes home and he's like greeting Grayer mm-hmm. and yeah they're finding oh he's like picked Grayer up so you can't see yeah, his right, face now Grayer's covering his face oh now yeah. he's over by this like console yeah. table or he whatever he bends down to put him down there's a flower right. yeah, so yeah. I had not seen this before and I just asked I remember I asked you guys out loud like do we ever see his face and you guys were like yeah 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> and then we get like two more scenes one of which where it just seems like it's a camera faced to the back part oh, scene. Oh, same yeah. shot. But then it's angled so that you get maybe like the last fifth of Giamatti. <laughs> yeah, and then, but you get entirely like Laura Linney and Grayer and then you see like a sliver of Paul Giamatti to the point that like it looks like they just pointed the camera the wrong direction We're like we don't have time for reshoots just gotta go with yeah. it make it a thing now. And then the scene after that he's like reading a newspaper. Right. And you never see his face. Yeah, it's covering time. his face entirely and then like even the first scene where you where you like you eventually do see his face he's still in a chair facing the other yeah. direction because it's a right. Yeah, it is a reveal, and it feels like it should be like a moment of like oh, Mr. X, and yeah. it's like, oh, it's Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, but you know, you can hear. The- I know, you, and it, he has that Paul Giamatti esque tone to his voice. Yeah. So who else could it be it but is, Paul Giamatti? It is funny too, though, because they they reveal him, and it just seems like Paul Giamatti is immediately underwhelming. Like, like it's the reveal, like, bup, bup, and he's just like, yep, it's me. It would have been, <laughs> would have been a reveal if, if, we, if we were hearing Paul Giamatti's voice for four scenes, and it's not Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> it's great if it was like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like, some, like, hug, and Paul Giamatti like, just dubbed his voice. He, like, he, like turns around, and it's Mark Consuelos. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. It's me, Mark Consuelos. Was just this hot dude speaking with Paul Giamatti. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, it'd be much better. Yeah. That's we should just decide that's all of our fixes for the movie. <laughs> yeah, I have Paul Giamatti do ADR. That's another one. I'm curious, like, what this character is presented as in the book, though. You know, like, I really do want to know, like, is he kind of attractive? Like, is he supposed to be like this tiny, schlubby, yeah. bald guy? The schlubbiness, actually, in this is going to sound weird, but it sort of intrigued me in a, in a weird way because. I was sort of like, how interesting. I would have expected them to go maybe kind of like Silver Hunk so that maybe they could play this line of like, ooh, is the nanny going to like his advances? Well, so here's the thing. What I think it it complicates slightly, though, is... um the relationship between Paul Giamatti and Laura Linney, because one has to assume when you see these two together that she's with him for his money, right? Yeah. But that is why she likes him, because she's not with him because he's, you know, like a hunk or something. Right. It's Paul Giamatti. So, like, 
I feel like you are presented with some thoughts about their relationship that don't really hold up later on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, she seems to be genuinely invested in this person. So it's it's not that I think it's bad casting, per se. I think it's it's strangely handled. I think the fact that there is, like, this lead-up to Paul Giamatti is what makes it all the more ridiculous when you see Paul Giamatti there. Like, if you just saw his face when he walked in, it would just be sort of like, okay, this is Mr. X, whatever. Who cares? Right. But, like, the fact that, like, we tease it for several scenes is what makes it very strange. Hold it back. Right. Um... I could not find, just looking, glancing at the Wikipedia thing, any physical aspects of Mr. X in mm-hmm. the book, um, but it says that the sequel reveals him to have been a con artist. Yes, I did see that also who was, looking into the sequel. Who's, uh, like, flimsy empire is rapidly imploding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, again, very, as the French say, Giamatti-esque. Yeah. So we can only imagine what was happening out there in Chicago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know that anyone else has really loved to talk about, really. Alicia Keys, she's fine. She's in two scenes. Yeah. 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 She uh, does a fine job. Yeah, I Donna guess. Murphy. I like Donna Murphy a lot. So yeah. it's, it's fun. It's nice seeing, like, stage people getting roles in movies. Yeah. Because it's, like, kind of, you know, it's, it doesn't usually happen. So I think she's good. It's, it's no Mother Gothel, her crowning achievement. But, um... <laughs> But she's good. Mm-hmm. I got nothing to say about the score because the score is bizarre. I don't know who did it, but it was pointed out when we were watching it several times that there was like percussive ethnic drums yes. in various scenes, as though to make it seem like, yeah, like, oh, she's exploring the wilderness. This is the jungle, the Manhattan jungle. And it's just sort of like, okay, like yeah. you're making an obvious point obvious. I get it. Also, vaguely problematic. Yeah, also, yeah, also that too. But she's like, because it, it plays as if it's like calling her to this like other life, but it's like. But she's she's still white, right? And she's just going to go work for rich white people, You're like right, so. Yeah, why are you playing like African drama? Right. Yeah. Why are you trying to use this? For? I just, I mean, it just seems like the laziest way to convey anthropology, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you're into anthropology, ergo you African drums. stuff, yep. yeah. tribal subject music. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I think that's about all we got for our actual discussion of the Nanny Diaries itself. So mm-hmm. we might as well go into fixes. Does anyone want to start us off? I can start us. Though. Start us off. I don't think it would be shocking to hear that I did not find this movie to be like super inspirational, but. I'm getting rid of the stupid anthropology framing device. I'm also treating this as if I'm just making a movie with the parts I have here. I'm not looking to like respect the plot of the book. What? Really? No. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I My beach friend, And I just figured it would be better if I just ripped the bandaid no. off. I know, I know you're really sensitive about this one. <laughs> the grandma reading Devil Wars Prada and I are going to be so upset. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I got rid of that framing device. I'm also going to have it be that she is a, like, a tutor of some kind, and that I think maybe that's what she's doing or had, like, done through college to kind of, like, make some extra money. Mm-hmm. I do like this idea of, you know, like, she's really into anthropology, but she kind of went for this other degree that maybe her mom, not maybe necessarily to the point of being like, go to Goldman Sachs, but was like maybe pressuring her to get like a concrete or a smart degree. Um, I think that's, that can be like a frustrating thing. I want her time kind of spent as a nanny to be about kind of exploring and finding the like truth of how nannies are like treated in this system. And I think I would want it to be kind of somewhat satirical and darkly comedic, but I do want there to actually be, like... I would want to kind of create a situation... Have you guys ever heard of or seen the documentary Queen of Versailles? I know it, but I have... I know about it. I have not okay. Seen it. But, like, in extreme brief, it is about this woman in New Jersey who is building a single home that is meant to be bigger than Versailles, mm-hmm. and uh, this guy is doing it... Or she essentially, like, is throwing money at these people to make a documentary about her, but then when they start to film things, the economy crashes all the way back into the 2008 recession. And so what it becomes is this look inside, like, how this would affect a rich family like them and they talk to their like one of three nannies who has like children back in the Philippines that she knows she will no longer see and that she lives in what what used to be a children's playhouse that they like let her make into her cap like it is Mm. I think bleak in a way that can be fascinating and perhaps even in some kind of like uh, jawbreaker or drop dead gorgeous way sort of darkly comedic but I do want to kind of show that of like hey it's a pretty fucked up system for nannies out there yeah. especially if, if you're not white I was thinking in tone for mine more like the movie Election but I think that has a lot in common with like what you've brought up in yeah. terms of like these, these sort of sharp dark comedies um, where we're like I, I don't want to say it's not that there's like a heart to them but it's like a very tiny black heart 
Um, so, so I... There's a rightness to them. There is a sense of justice. Right. There, yeah, sort of sometimes. Um, so I, I don't really have, like, a whole synopsis like I sometimes do here. Um, the, the basic, like, the basic idea is just, like, some subtle tweaks with the same protagonist, if you wanted to do it that way, where, like, she's studying anthropology in college, so this is something that she's always wanted to get into, and she, like, doesn't lie to her mother and grandmother, whoever, about her wanting to do this, where, like, maybe they're all, like, crazy anthropologists, too, and she's like, I've got it. This is, like, this is, like, the last place I can go to to like mm. do to like do a complex anthropological study like the rich white bitches of Manhattan and they're like yeah that's a great idea why don't you go do that like go be a nanny for them get into the trenches so they're like all aware of like her doing this modern study of a wealthy family unit um, in this version Alicia Keys's character is another nanny in the building so she's not just like this rando best friend from college like she's a vestigial character yeah right so she like I think she'd have more importance if she was doing the same job as ScarJo and she lives in the building therefore they can sort of like hang out like who knows like maybe there is like a basement where all the nannies are like going to periodically hang out together like because they need to just get out of their fucking apartment sometimes and so you know you can have more um, more scenes like the one in the movie where it's like her talking to all the other various nannies being like well you know like these are the sacrifices I make this is why I do this job I'm not doing this job just for like fun or to you know to like like write an article for a journal or something like this mm-hmm. is like this is like my life that I'm dealing with right here. The idea of having an act to reality like end of act to reality check for her, I think, is something that will probably be pretty important. They're the ones who are trying to instill these children with like a sense of morality or some sort of like value system because their own parents can't be bothered to deal with this shit, and they're the ones who are thinking like. You know, if, if we're ever going to hope for, like, a future where maybe rich people are like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be assholes to, like, the lower class. Like, we have to be the ones to instill this sense of, like, compassion mm-hmm. to them. So, like, you have that, I think, as something. And on the other hand, you could just do it with, like, a protagonist of color, which I think would at least mm-hmm. give it a little bit more of stakes. Like, maybe, you know, her mom is still, like, a single working mom who's, like, worked really hard to give her everything that she has in life. But nonetheless, it's not like she could just go home to her mom's house and, like, everything would be okay. You know, so, you know, she has to take this job being a nanny because she has no other options available to her at this time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, I feel like if you wanted to do sort of a more grounded, realistic look at like what it is like to be a nanny, you could do something like that. And just, I feel like also to a certain point, maybe in this, the year of our Lord 2020, we're less interested in like looking at rich people and be like, ooh, like what a strange existence uh, they lead. Like, oh, it, so. It's not like more, so much like charming. More in burning the houses. Right, right, right. Like it's more like I fucking hate these people. Right, like yeah. I don't really care about like what glamorous lives they leave. And oh, like they have some problems too. We should feel bad. I can recognize that there was a time where I did sort of view that with a sort of aspirational or like wouldn't that be nice kind of lens. But nowadays it does just... I mean, there is. It does. And that, 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 does, that does still exist. But I do feel more strongly like a feeling of like tackiness or just a feeling of like this where else this money could have gone that would have been right. better and I mean I don't want to say that like a movie like this would never be made nowadays because I'm sure in three months something like this will come out and prove me wrong but I feel like if it were people would like almost instantly on social media be like what is this bullshit yeah, like why are you fucking watching this shit so yeah I, I think you've got two options there one is like the more black comedy sort of version that still has a little bit of a heart to it and the other one is like Lee what you said if you wanted to do like a straight up version about what it is like yeah. to be a nanny in Manhattan you could go for the other option so that's what I got yeah, well, before we were talking about it, and before I had said during this very recording the words are not Armando Inucci, I had <laughs> walked into this episode with similar to what you had described, Brendan, where mm-hmm. I was going to do, like, well, I guess they'll do the same sort of, like, ignorant, middle-class white girl decides she's going to be a nanny on a whim and then finds out that it sucks for all these other people that are nannies because they have to be. Mm-hmm. Um and that, that it would be sort of like a sort of moralistic, like, oh, like she sort of learns and it becomes out of it a little bit of a person and we all learn a little bit about what it's like. Yeah. And then I was like, no, fuck it. Actually, what I <laughs> want is for like, for it to be a straight up Marmaduke in a movie where like everyone's an asshole and you, it's still an ignorant white girl, but she's just the POV character yeah. that like, it's we're all related to because we are also all ignorant, ignorant white people. people yeah. But she's an asshole. Yeah. And she thinks she's going to like have a lark. And so they're like, she's the POV character, but she's kind of like a Malcolm Tucker from like, where she's like, just the one that is our lens into this world. Right, right. Sure. Where uh, all of these rich, you can keep the, the sort of episodes the same. You can even have that fucking parent society be even more like awful than it is. Oh yeah, well, and there's there's things that you could like really give a lot of space to in that situation. Yeah, and and you could have the the rich people be like as as awful and nasty as you want them to be, and you could you could still have like the sort of, like, only grounded characters be these, like, actual, like, career nannies and mm-hmm. have bits of them, but I don't want them to be, like, 
I want them to be like uh, not POV characters. Right. Like, they're just like the sort of straight characters. Where every that now and then they'll up. come to like like deflate yeah. the balloon to the viewer a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To just like be like you know. Uh, these dummies. I can't. Yeah, I can't be like think of the word like you know like a straight man. Yeah, yeah. Like they're not mad. They're nannies. The yeah. straight nannies. Yeah. The straight nannies. Yeah. Good who are just movie. like dead panning. They're like the gyms of the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are just they're like, uh, they're smirking to oh, the camera. Always gym in the camera. Yes. Yeah. Always gym in the camera. Gym in the camera. But yeah, I don't want it to have like heart. I just want it to be like darkly funny the yeah, whole yeah. time, and you know, to for us to like get through the jokes and through these, like, actual career nannies who are in the periphery just being, like, gritting their teeth through the whole experience. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I don't want it, I don't want the white girl to even come out of it as martyr. I want her to just, like, be happy that she got out. <laughs> right? Yeah, but I, I think there's even a world where that movie, where my version ends with, like, the the implication that she's, because of Chris Evans' character, she's just going to become... <laughs> like, the next Mrs. The X. The next yeah. Mrs. X, yeah. like, 20 years uh, from now. Yeah. yeah. That's how it happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, do we recommend The Nanny Diaries? I fucking do not. But, you know, <laughs> listen, my recommendation of no is, is, isn't like, it's just you have to take, you have to understand who I am and make your own decision yeah. because I am not the audience for this movie. No, you, you, you are not, admittedly. For me, it's more of a, like a maybe, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not, I, honest to God, I remember this movie being a lot worse than it is upon rewatching. So, like, I thought for sure that I would fucking hate this. And again, Stockholm Syndrome. So maybe it's just that I've watched this twice. I'm like, oh, yeah. the axes aren't that bad. So, I would be the nanny for the axes <laughs> if I could. But, um, Julie, I, I, would, I, I would agree that I'd be a good nanny for the axes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, Julie Haggard. Mrs. X! Leon. There's icing on my blouse! <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree that it's not that bad, but... It's also not that good. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's just sort of a shittier version of Devil Wears Prada. It is. There's and not a lot of like, stakes. Right, Laura Linney is the only thing I can possibly recommend, and I don't quite think it's worth watching the rest of the movie to get at, like, the marshmallow cereal bits that are Laura Linney's performance <laughs> yeah. to wait through, like, the cereal lucky charms to yeah, get Laura Linney. truly. She's kind of the only reason why you would watch this. I think I, yeah. I agree. She's really the only like she she turns into a, she turns in a performance. And that to I think extend is, the metaphor, you have to be into sugary cereal to even want to eat those lucky charms. In the that's also place. true. true. You wouldn't you wouldn't go diving into that box if you didn't want it in the first yeah. place. Okay, so I, I, I guess that's uh, that's probably what I thought we'd land on on this yeah. recommendation. Uh, okay, so as always, you can go to our website www.dratpack.com for our episodes and whatever other crap is on there. You can go to facebook.com/slash podcast and like us there. You can download our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, and you can rate us, review us, give us yo likes, baby. More likes. More likes. We demand more likes. Mm. And if we don't get them, we'll never stop. Uh, so we need validation, and we need a pad. Yeah. So we will be back in two weeks with a mini-episode, as per usual, where we talk about the movie that we will be doing four weeks from now! Uh, until then, it's been a treat. Bye! Bye.